Hey, 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 welcome back to Claim the Stage. I'm Angela Lucier. I'm your host. I'm also an author, speaker, and CEO and founder of the Speaker Sisterhood, a network of public speaking clubs for women at speakersisterhood.com. And today's episode is a fun one. It's our first time doing live coaching. And you'll notice Jolie is not here for this episode. She is still on vacation from the show, and I'm doing this one solo. So I decided to do two live coaching calls for this episode because they ended up being about 45 minutes long, and I thought, that's probably enough for one episode. So today we talked to Dana Hahn from Pennsylvania, and she tells us a little bit about a nonprofit she runs, and then her question is about her fear and anxiety over talking to large groups of professionals. And so we get into the mindset of a speaker and what it takes to deal with that fear and anxiety. And our second live coaching call is with Becky Vish. She is also a speaker sisterhood club leader, and she has several businesses. And she asks about how to incorporate a sales pitch when she's going live on the various social media platforms like Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok. So if you have any interest in either of those subjects, I think you will love today's episode and live coaching. If you're interested in being on a future episode where I can do live coaching with you, you can email me at Angela at speakersisterhood.com and I will find a time to get you on the show and help you with your question. So that's pretty much all I wanted to share for today. Without further ado, here is our live coaching. All right. Our first person that we're talking to is Dana Hahn, and I'm excited to have her on the show to ask her question because I have so much to say about this subject. So Dana, welcome to Claim the Stage. Thank you, Angela. I appreciate you having me. Why don't you tell me why you wanted to come on the show today and ask your question? Okay. So recently, um, I guess I should do maybe just a little bit of background um, as to what I'm doing. Um, About 11 years ago, I lost my son, Luke, in an accident, and we started a nonprofit foundation in his name. And that that foundation kind of moved forward, and we were trying to figure out a purpose for it and decided that we were going to uh, offer grief support um, to the kids in our local school district, which is the Penardo area school district. And, um, we, uh, you know, we went through some trainings and we did some background, uh, research and things like that, and decided that this is definitely, um, an area that was much needed in our, in our area, uh, in our community. So, um, I started the foundation about nine years ago. We actually started uh, doing grief support about eight years ago for our local kids. And they are between the ages of, uh, uh, between the grades of four and 12 in our school district. And so um, for a long time, you know, we've been offering our our kids the grief support, but I've been feeling that it's, it's as important, if not more important to have the kids, the people who surround um, our kids um, in a supportive way, such as their teachers and their parents, to be able to um, support them in a way that that's um, 
you know, good for them and necessary for them. And so for a long time, I've been wanting to do a, um, a, a parents group and or um, speak to teachers in, in services and basically present to them how it is, uh, how, how important it is to support grieving kids in their classrooms. So um, what's holding me back, I believe, is a little bit of confidence in the area of standing up in front of professionals and asking um, or in presenting to them um, this topic. Um, so, you know, my, my guess, my question is, how do I get through the fear slash anxiety of um, presenting um, in front of a large group of professionals? And, um, and that is where your expertise comes in. So I appreciate that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. yeah, you're welcome. I guess my first question is a follow-up and that is, what are you afraid of happening? Where, where does the fear and anxiety about? Yes. So uh, as long, I feel like as I'm getting older, I'm getting, it's getting worse for me to remember things. So uh, I usually, when I present, I have a PowerPoint that will help me to kind of keep me focused. Um, I also have notes in front of me all the time <laughs> because I'm always fearful of forgetting what it is that I have to present, what I have to say to everyone. So that's de definitely my main um, issue at this point. And I think the worse, the, the more fearful and the more afraid I am of being in front of someone and, and forgetting something, the more I forget. <laughs> that probably makes sense. But. Yeah, yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah. So what happens when you forget something when you're speaking in front of a group? Um, usually I ad lib and try to get myself back on target where I'm supposed to be. And that usually does not work out very well. Um, I try to you know, I try to remember what it is and I kind of stumble through my words and then I feel like I'm being unprofessional and that why should the people in the audience believe what I'm saying because I can't even remember what I'm what I'm supposed to say. So yeah. that, yeah, that's a huge, huge thing for me. Okay. So there's a lot of things, there's a lot of things I can help you with here. And the first thing to know is your audience doesn't know what you're about to say. So if you forget what you're planning to say, they don't know the difference. Right. True. <laughs> which, is, which is great. <laughs> I've, yeah. I've had so many speeches where I had planned to say, you know, tell four different stories. And then I leave the talk and I'm like, I only told two of the four stories, but nobody in the audience knows the difference. They just assume I said everything I planned to say. So you can take the pressure off of worrying about saying everything you planned on because to them, it's just you said everything that you were going to say. Right. <laughs> Um, and then also preparation is key. And the more prepared you are, not only with your mindset, but also with your content, the less pressure you have to, to feel that you're, you know, going to say everything that you want to say. And so I want to talk about the mindset piece, because when you go into a talk thinking, oh, what if I forget things, like you said, then you're more apt to forget things. But also, how can we think about public speaking differently so that it's not a high pressure activity and it's not about am I being professional or am I being unprofessional? But it's about 
being in service to the people who are sitting in front of you. And you run a nonprofit, so you know what it means to be in service to people. It's about helping people understand. It's about giving them resources. It's about educating them. It's about connecting them to the information they're looking for. So if you can think of yourself when you're when you're speaking as being in service to your audience, it really takes the pressure off of being perfect, being the best, being entertaining, being informative. And instead, it makes it about your audience and about how you can give them what they need in order to be better teachers and better parents. Does that feel a little, does that shift anything for you? It absolutely does. It absolutely does. Um, yeah, I could, I could definitely see where, uh, first of all, not trying to be perfect and not trying to get up there and have everything, all my ducks in a row kind of thing, um, will take the pressure off in that way. And um, yes, I believe after many years of doing what I'm doing, as far as the grief support goes, and um, I'm actually uh, finishing up this fall my uh, master's in thanatology, which is the study of grief, uh, uh, death, dying, and bereavement. Um, so, you know, I feel like I've got enough knowledge in in me to under, you know, to understand what it is that I want to present um, and what it is that I feel is necessary for teachers and or parents to, to get from my talk. Um, so definitely, you know, definitely that part of it. It's, I believe it's more so of a when I get on the stage in front of all those people, um, and, and this comes and this comes even before this, like in preparing ahead of time, where I'm picturing myself being in front of people on the stage, I think already like I've got that anxiety in my mind that kind of makes my mind go blank, um, yep. where I feel like I'm not retaining, oh my gosh, I'm I'm thinking of this, I'm, I'm reading this right now, but I'm not retaining it. I'm not keeping it where it, it, it should be. So I guess, yes, and that is, I have the resources. I have, um, you know, the, the education part of it, uh, trying to connect my audience to what it is that I'm telling them. Um, and I also, I also really appreciate the in-service part where, um, yes, I have a story to tell and um and whatever comes out of that story and also whatever information that i have to give them is a service to them so i appreciate that yes exactly and a lot of people especially newer speakers will often turn down speaking opportunities because they feel they're not qualified enough to be standing in front of a group and you know talking to them about a subject yes. but like you just said you're getting a master's degree in this subject <laughs> you run a nonprofit on this subject you and you don't need to be the world's leading expert in order to help people get informed about something you only need to be a step ahead of them because that one step is enough information for them to be more informed and more educated on something and so when you put together your talk and and this is something a lot of new speakers do is they think okay what's what what do I know about this subject and how can I fill as much of this time with everything I know about it? And what that does is it actually confuses your audience because it's like the fire hose approach where you just throw a bunch of stuff at them and then you let them walk out the door and they have to make sense of it. So the best speakers try to whittle down their information and say, what are the most important things I can share in this period of time? So when they leave, they have exactly what they need to know. And that means thinking about the 
with the key takeaways, like three or four key takeaways, not 10, not 20, not 50, just three or four things. Like if I could only tell this person three or four things about this subject, what would they be? And in order to determine what those three or four things are, you have to start with two key questions. The first is who is in my audience? And so I would say these are actually two different talks because if you're gonna talk to parents, they have different needs and different fears and different uh, challenges than, than teachers in the classroom, right? So you have to think of these two audiences a little differently. And when I say who is in my audience, I don't just mean their job title or their position, but also, like I said, like what's going on in their mind? What do they care about? What are they afraid of? What are their goals? What are their challenges? And when you can start to really get to know who they are and what motivates them and what matters to them, then you can determine what those key takeaways will be. The second question you wanna ask yourself before you put together your talk is what problem am I solving for them? And when it comes to the talk for the teachers, the problem you're solving for them is making sure that they have the right information and the right approach when they're talking to grieving students because they may not have those tools yet. So that's really the only problem you have to solve for them is how to show up for the students who are grieving, right? Yes. Right. So giving them three or four tools, that's it. And the way to present those three or four tools is to think about a story that can help illustrate those tools in action or have them do an exercise that gives them a chance to practice that tool in the workshop. And the best learning happens in the moment versus saying, here's what you should do later. And then everybody just goes, that's a good idea. And then they don't get a chance to do it for another month or six months. It's harder for them to really see what it feels like versus having them do it right there, have, you know, have them find a partner and they do it. And one, one person's the student, one person's the teacher, and they get to practice and do um, whatever that tool or tip is. And if you're talk, do you know what, how long you're planning to talk for? Usually in services are about an hour to an hour and a half. Okay, great. So if you have 90 minutes, then you may, you may wanna do five takeaways. Not more than that, though, because you really want to focus on these major concepts and spend enough time on each one so that people really understand what you're getting at. A good way to do that is to share a story of this is what that tool looks like when it was handled well or when it was done right. And here's a situation that was not handled well and help them to see the difference. Those are really good. Like comparison stories are a good way to teach having people do group work or partner group, uh, partner work, as I mentioned, and also having them get involved. So the more discussion time you can do, especially on a subject like this, because there's probably very few opportunities for these teachers to be able to talk about this subject. It's not like it comes up in the break room or, you know, it's one of those subjects where people they're thinking, how can I be sensitive? How can I be an effective teacher? But it's not, yeah, it's not like just a conversation you have in the hallway. Right. So giving them space to have discussion in the workshop would be really helpful. And then to be able to come back to your presentation, like having people brainstorm, what would they do? And then 
being able to comment on different ideas they come up with. Those are all really great ways to get them involved. And also it's less time that you have to talk. (laughs) (laughs) Well, grief happens to be one of those subjects that there are a lot of handled well and not handled well situations. So I could definitely see doing something in, um, in that sense. Also, you know, in our groups and just from our experience with like teens and that age group, um, believe it or not, teens love to um, do crafts and hands-on tactile um, type activities with their grieving. So that might be something I can also kind of throw in and, you know, and utilize some some space. Like, you know, if I'm speaking about, I don't know, um, uh, just about anything. I mean, changes in grief. You know, we do a nice little activity with with butterfly, uh, like a, a metaphor of a butterfly kind of thing. So definitely lots of ideas there. And thank you. That that just those few words that you mentioned, just those couple of sentences were like a huge, you know, I think for me it's a really um out there, large, overbearing, overwhelming experience. Um, because I think I, like you said, I put too much into it, like kind of just to narrow it down and make it so that it's not such a big undertaking, um, and just get to the main points and be able to, you know, explain those. Thank you for that. I appreciate that. Yeah, you're welcome. And I'm glad that you mentioned the crafts because I do a lot of presentations for adults, also some teenagers, college students, and I find that across the board, regardless of age group, anytime you give your audience a chance to engage with something creative or something that, yeah, is tactile, they get so much more out of it. And the way I describe that is the more you can make your presentation like kindergarten, the more entertaining, fun, engaged your audience will be. Because we have complicated problems to solve all day long. We have, you know, big decisions we have to constantly make, but we, if we can sit with, with our colleagues and have fun for 15 minutes, that's meaningful. And that's a gift you're giving your audience. And that truly is being in service to them. So while it may seem like, well, do the teachers need to make the butterflies? Yes. The teachers need to make the butterflies for sure. Yes. (laughs) It's also something, and I just thought of this, it's also something that they can do with kids in their classroom if let's say they have um which is typical a a student or other you know many students in their classroom who are grieving the loss of a pet or a a family member or that kind of thing or friend um that they can if they're in some sort of you know um lesson that they can like add it to that's something they can learn and and share with their kids too so i love that yeah that's great also, as far as the opening of your speech goes, it's it's really helpful if you can get your audience into the hearts and minds of the people that you're trying to help, right? So if you're you're trying you're trying to help the teachers to be more um, educated and supportive of whoever's grieving. So if you painted a picture, say, like have your whole audience close their eyes and you read something to them about um, a 10 year old whose dog passed away and what that child's day was like. And then you have them open your eyes and say, now say that 10 year old is standing in front of you right now. What would you say to them? That's a really good way to get everyone into the right mindset and also um, really focused really quickly. And it's easy for you as the presenter because 
the first, I don't know about you, but for the first couple of minutes of every presentation I give, I feel really, really nervous. I feel like it's this rocky transition. And then as soon as I, the two first two or three minutes are over, I chill out and I go into the zone. So if I can do an exercise in the opening that helps me to relax and kind of like bridges that gap from sitting in the audience to now being the speaker, it actually makes the whole thing go much more smoothly. So if when you get up to give your speech, the first thing you do is have your whole audience close their eyes and you read something to them, it's a lot easier to get started. And the next thing you're doing is you're asking them to participate. And so now you're creating rapport and you're building a bond with them and you're getting them involved and they're getting to know you through that conversation versus just staring at you waiting for you to say something. <laughs> right. Right. This is true. Yes. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Um, I, 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 that is an awesome idea. And thank you. I will definitely use that for sure. Um, oh, good. Especially with, as we, we uh, as we're going to do, we're probably going to break out into with, with our earned services into developmental age groups or, um, or grades that kind of go together and developmentally. So, um, so I can use different, age groups in each of those to kind of, you know, get their mindset, like you said, into whatever age that is that they're dealing with in their classroom. So awesome. That's perfect activity. I love it. <laughs> Great. Excellent. So those are the ways that you can help to prepare your mind and, and put yourself at ease because you're building the right amount of content for the amount of time you have and you're not trying to fit in 500 things, but just getting it really focused down to the things that you know are important. You're providing stories, you're giving time for discussion and activities, and you're just keeping it really simple. And when you have it simplified like that, it's and you have your notes in front of you, it's a lot easier to follow along and keep in the flow of the presentation and not fear forgetting, you know, one random thing off to the side. And even if you do forget something, that's okay. Like okay. no one knows. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> You're yeah. welcome. And it's okay. You find you feel you feel that it's okay for me to use notes, um, like limited amount of time, you know, just for kind of just to kind of get me on track or maybe just use the PowerPoint instead. Yeah, I mean, I have a lot of thoughts about PowerPoint. I never use it. I feel like people are looking at screens all day long. And so having PowerPoint just sort of takes away from the, the connection between the speaker and the audience because they have to continually divide their attention from screen to speaker. Right. So I don't use PowerPoint at all. And I feel that it creates a much more inclusive, connected experience where you, you can really be with the people and you don't have to, you know, go back and forth. Um, the way that I use notes and what I teach in Speaker Sisterhood is called the three circle method. And each circle has a key takeaway in it with, I write down what the, the story title is. I, I title all my stories. And then I, in the second half of the circle, I write down what the key takeaway is. So I memorize my stories, not word for word, but you know, the general gist of what the story is. And then I uh, connect it to the key takeaway. So it, this is a lot about the preparation piece. And I often will practice my stories when I'm driving and I record them on my um, app, my, my audio recorder app on my phone. And I, once I'm, I've really got my story down, I can just write the title down in the circle and I don't have to have tons of notes with bullet points. Okay. So it's really helpful. Like even today, you know, I still use the three circles because I like to just glance down and say, okay, my next circle is the story about the time that I, you know, um, 
gave a speech to 500 people and how that went. And then the takeaway was X, Y, Z. And then the next circle is a different story. And so I'm just like keeping the flow in the circles on my sheet. I'm not really looking down at it for word for word notes. It's just to keep me on track. Okay. Um, and your circles could be big. My circles are, um, you know, the size of, I don't know, like a, a just a regular like tomato sauce jar, like the, that size. Um, okay. But you could have a circle that's the size of a whole page if you wanted to. It's just the more that you can sort of just remember, then the more you can be with your audience and not be trying to manage too many notes or slides or all the extra stuff. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. I've, I've actually done a PowerPoint for a, an in-service that I did for our local um, intermediate unit. And um, I, I put, I, I added some pictures of like my son and um you know, some pictures of him intermittently in there, like with his friends and things, because at that time I was talking about how, you know, uh, our, we had friends and family students in his class who were all grieving him at the time. And it kind of connected them with, with that information. And then I kind of went into the fact that, you know, how, how these kids then needed support while they were grieving. Um, and, what our what our foundation does as far as um, supporting them you know, through through our grief groups so. that's that's a wonderful point and i do think that's a useful way to use powerpoint is if you have photos to share that does definitely add an element to every story when people can have a visual i don't think it's as useful when it's just a lot of text up on the screen and it's okay. basically the same thing that you're saying it's just like yeah. a bullet point version of it because now they're trying to read and listen to you at the same time and it breaks that connection but yes I agree if you have photos of of the people that you're trying to help or you have photos of your son I think that's a great idea and it, it does work really well and you know if, as long as they're used sparingly and yes. to add impact then definitely go for it okay good thank you yeah, you're welcome. So I hope that's helpful. And at least we'll give you a new way of looking at your presentations, a new way of looking at public speaking and, and what it is, and to just sort of have fun with it and have fun with the people in front of you. Yes, they're professionals, but they're also human beings who want to have a fun time, who want to be connected to you and to each other. And it's an opportunity for that. It's not about being impressive or being the best or being perfect. It's just about being a person who can help them be better at their jobs. Awesome. Thank you. That puts it in such perspective. Thank you. <laughs> Good. You're welcome. Becky Vish, welcome to Claim the Stage. Hi, so excited to be here. <laughs> Um, thanks for submitting a question for live coaching. I thought before we jump into the question, you could provide a little background about who you are. Yeah. Oh, I'd love to. Um, so my name is Becky and I'm in Connecticut. Uh, I'm a mom of two. I got a six and a seven year old um, and my husband, Mike. And for work, I, um, I'm a makeup rep for a new makeup company. And I also am creating high maintenance female, which is a cannabis lifestyle brand for women. And I'm also a speaker sisterhood club leader and diehard fan of, so <laughs> it's a little bit about me. Thanks. So what is your question? 
So I go live regularly. Getting in front of a camera, pushing record is not really my problem. Um, but I like to keep my lives when I'm doing makeup. I, I come on and do makeup tutorials. And I like to keep them really interesting and educational and casual. But I am trying to sell makeup. You know, I'm trying to um, build a business. So I struggle a little bit on the ask, you know, when it comes to the part of the live where I want them to go to my website or to check out getting a color match. Um, and I even struggle with this a little bit with the high maintenance females being on live and then getting them to go and, and get that sale without being too pushy or feeling like I'm breaking the trust of my audience. So how I can get to the ask without having that icky feeling around it. Okay. I wanted to ask you about that part about breaking the trust. What about selling makes you think that you're breaking their trust? I guess just because I always feel like it's like that inner voice saying, oh, there's what we're waiting for. (laughs) She's been giving us all this great info, but there, there it is. She wants us to buy something. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just, I don't know. I get weird feelings around that, like feeling like that's what they're thinking. Mm -hmm. Is there a way that we can reframe the way that you think about selling? Cause the way that you just described it makes it seem like by telling them that these things are for sale, you're somehow ruining the relationship. And when I think of selling, I think, how can I give them the information they need so they can make a decision? And I've had the pleasure of watching your videos on Instagram, Facebook, TikTok for the last six months or year. And I love your videos so much. And the question I'm always asking myself at the end of the videos is where do I get the makeup? (laughs) And so being in service to your audience is about giving them the information they need to make a decision. And if they never know where to go to get the makeup, then you're not really being in service to them. So if you can think about your sales pitch as about as being in service and not, oh, they're going to think I'm this creepy sales, used car sales person, um, then that will make it easier to add it into your videos. Because really what you're doing is making it easier for them to get what they want. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love this because without it, I'm almost leaving them hanging. Yes. Like I've shown them all this great stuff and then I'm like, all right, when really they're like, oh, wait, where do we get it? Right. And for, for months I was like, does she sell makeup or she just likes to show us her makeup? <laughs> oh, yes. Yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> and, and like, you're so engaging, you're so entertaining and educational and you're gorgeous. And so everyone watching the videos is like mesmerized. And I'm sure like everyone that I've talked to is like, have, I'm like, have you seen Becky's videos? They're so good. Everybody loves them. So the next step is help your audience to find more information by giving them that information, not as a sales pitch, but as, Hey, if you want to learn more, here's how. And you can always give that kind of a pitch. And um, there's, have you ever heard of the 80-20 rule when it comes to selling? I think so. But yeah, if you can refresh my memory a little bit. If you think of your content as like 80% of it is educational, there's always something they can learn from it. And then 20% of it is purely sales then when you're putting your editorial calendar or your, you know, your video calendar together, you can think, okay, if 
two out of 10 videos are going to be purely sales videos, then you can put a real sales pitch into those videos. And then all the rest of them at the end, the last thing you say is for more information, go to, and then your, your website or whatever the link is that you want them to see. And then also put the visual up on the screen so that people get used to seeing it and they know exactly what the call to action is. Mm. So and, you, you suggest almost repeating the call to action, like making it the same at the end of every video. So it kind of almost, I think of like when they repeat the 1-800, you know, that catchy <laughs> number or something like that. So you like, you know, you remember it at the end of the commercial kind of thing. Exactly. Yep. On all, all the informational videos, you want to have that call to action at the end, but like, that's always the same, but for the ones that are really about selling, and I have a different idea for those, you can go more in depth on what the product is. And then you can have that same final call to action of here's the website. But I was thinking for those sales videos, you could do something like adventures in Becky's makeup bag, where you highlight three or four of your favorite products you're using right now and why you love them or how to use them and have theme music for those. So they're kind of fun, almost like a little infomercial. And then um, you have a promo code. I don't, can you use promo codes or do you want to? Um, I can't for the makeup, but I can for the high maintenance female um, items for sure. Okay. So having promo codes for those for the next 24 hours or 48 hours, those promo codes are a great way to get people to take action, especially if there's mm -hmm. a deadline on them. And then that's a great way to sell something because you're giving them a reason to buy it. Yeah. Um, and then doing like the makeup hack videos, things that people think take forever, but you can do in one minute. And then that one thing, that one product that you're showing, you're really highlighting it. You're highlighting why it's better than other companies or why you love it. And then you can say, hey, if you want this product, go to my website. And then you have that, that same call to action as usual or the stop doing it wrong videos, like common mistakes people make when they're putting on makeup. These are all things that I'm always wondering about because I don't wear very much makeup, but I'm always like, how do people do this? It's still a mystery to me. And I know I'm still working through my own <laughs> makeup beliefs. Um, and then like the one minute makeup videos, just highlight one tip or trick and then offer maybe not a discount, but maybe you could bundle something with it or you can offer something that will get them excited about it. And then for the yeah. high maintenance female, like, yeah, you could have promo codes. And the fact that you make all that stuff yourself is really cool. And I wonder if you don't recognize how cool it is because you've been doing that kind of like promo um, apparel gear stuff for so long yeah. that to you, it's like, yeah, I'm just like screen printing a shirt, but it's really awesome. So to be able to show people your process and like designing stuff and actually making the shirts or hats, if you're doing that stuff at this point, then I would say definitely show all that stuff off. Okay. Yeah. I think I, I agree. I think sometimes I'm so in it that you don't, you don't know what your audience is wanting. Like they, you don't know what they want to see because you're like, I don't know. I just do this every day. I, I would assume this is boring, but it's not. They want to see all those pieces and how it comes together. Maybe mm -hmm. even like packaging orders and things like that. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. And for your makeup, are you trying to grow your team? I am. Yeah. So that's another thing that I 
don't really hear you talk about on your videos, one thing you can do is is put together information sessions like once every other week or once a month and promote those and make that its own video. Like if you're interested in learning more about how to like get involved with what I'm doing, I'm doing an information session next Thursday at 6 p.m., 20 minutes. We'll meet on Zoom. I'll give you all the information on how this works. And that way you're letting people know that they can get involved. They don't have to buy anything and you're not trying to like um, recruit necessarily. You're actually just offering information to get them more, you know, to let them know how to do it if they want to. And by making the information sessions recurring, you're sort of like reminding them constantly, like this is an option for you too. Yeah, I love that. I think I do tend to kind of stay away from the team mentioning uh, the team building um, again for like those same icky reasons, but you're, if you're, you're just think of it as giving information and then they can do with it what they want. I think it eases my anxiety a little bit around it. Yeah. Yep. I love this. Yeah. And I've seen you post pictures of you with your team and I, I thought, wow, they look like they're having a great time. That looks really fun. I don't really know exactly what they're doing, but whatever it is, like they just look like they're enjoying being together. Using a picture like that and then saying, hey, you want to get involved? I'm doing an information session so you can learn more. So you're sort of answering their questions. They're asking themselves as they're looking at the picture. Right, right. Oh, this is so great. Cool. And also highlighting your team members. I don't want to say like top performer of the month or like employee of the month, but if you can have some sort of language around it, that makes it not sound like a corporation. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Um, but that shows that you have a team and shows that you're excited about progress and success. That's another way to promote that. That's an option for people. I love it. I love it. And I can yeah. even, you know, do the perpetual plaque from my old, from my, from my roots. Exactly. Get back to the awards route. <laughs> yeah. And then having your team member pose with their trophy, like that's exciting. And then you can repost the photo and it's fun. Who doesn't like getting a trophy? Yeah, right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> oh, this is so great, Angela. This information is going to make a huge difference in how I approach my ask um, definitely in my videos. So I appreciate this so much. Oh, good. You're welcome. Yeah, I think a lot of sales just really does come down to mindset, you know, and just remembering like, I just I'm here to help people. So I need to give them information so they can do something with what I'm helping them with. (laughs) Yeah, I try to think of it as, you know, social sharing versus social selling. And I think I just try to lead with that mindset. And then these points just kind of reiterate that. And that's really the mindset you need to have. Yeah, exactly. Um, awesome. Thank you so much. Yeah, you're welcome. Is there anything else I can help with? I don't think so. I mean, I think I got a lot in front of me. I'm excited to make some videos now. Oh, cool. Well, I'm excited to see them. <laughs> <laughs> Terrific. Thanks so much. You're welcome. Jolie and I hope you love listening as much as we love making this show. If so, tell us by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or share it with a friend. Claim the Stage is a production of Speaker Sisterhood and is produced in the Glitter Closet in Holyoke, Massachusetts. Music is composed by Kelly Vogel of Sound Passage. All right, that does it for us this week. Until next time, stop waiting, start creating. Bye for now.